fake news about Judaism, how the progressives are trying to change the definition of what it is to be orthodox. Today on The Inverted Planet. I want to talk about fake news. This phenomenon existed, of course, a long time before Donald Trump put the moniker on it, fake news. But the idea of the media promoting a preferred narrative and skipping over facts which don't fit their desired narrative, that predates him by a long time. He was right to bring it up. And I noticed, you know, during the 2016 campaign, they, I believe it is still to be found on CNN or their YouTube channel that there's a Chiron that reads, Trump mocks disabled reporter. Now, he did mock the lack of clarity in speech of a disabled reporter in the same way that he mocked bankers and Ted Cruz, etc., etc., for the same exact reason. But the idea that he mocked a reporter's disability is complete fiction. It's fake news. And yet it's still up there. They still present it as fact. The fake news phenomenon, you know, so it, it obviously it accelerated under Trump. Uh, also, Slate magazine did an article in 2018, and here's the, here's the tweet. Two years into his presidency, and Donald Trump still doesn't use computers. It shows a photo of Trump with a laptop on his desk. I'm not making this up. Slate has a photo of Trump with a laptop on his desk next to their claim that he doesn't use computers. And we're, of course, we're talking about the most prolific head of state on Twitter up until the moment he was banned. So the idea that he doesn't use computers was simply idiocy, but it didn't matter because that was the narrative that Slate wanted to present. And actually that got me into a discussion with a reporter. I'm, I'm not going to name who he is, but my comment on Twitter about this slate idiocy tip to our friends in the media. The best way to get Donald Trump to stop complaining about fake news is to stop publishing fake news. And I said, given the photo, the premise of this article is nothing if not moronic. It was very, it was honestly very straightforward. Has the media improved? Well, first of all, I, I, I did go through a back and forth with a particular reporter who insisted that I was defending Trump. And I wasn't defending Trump. Everybody expects politicians to lie. We've all heard the old joke. How do you know if a politician is lying? His lips are moving. That's that's what we expect. But we do expect the media to at least report facts accurately instead of only reporting facts that fit narrative. What we are now learning, especially about 2020, is that the media twisted facts in order to send the election in a particular direction. Even if the the ballot count, even if the vote count actually went in Biden's favor, which I do believe it did, there's no question that people were duped. And that's because they were presented with things that simply were not facts. When Trump said that the virus came from a Chinese lab, 
the media insisted that that was debunked. Now, I don't know, I, I think we still don't know, if it's true or not. But to call it debunked was false. There's no question about that. It was literally fake news. They made that up. It was not debunked. He wasn't the only one to say it, of course. They mocked Tom Cotton for saying it. He was telling at least a very valid theory. And there was nothing racist about calling it the China virus or the Wuhan virus any more than it's racist to call the illness the ticks give people Lyme disease. Lyme disease comes from Lyme, Connecticut, where they first found it. At least that's what I believe. Um, There's nothing racist about calling it a Chinese virus. And again, it may be true, completely true, as Trump said, that it came from a Chinese lab. Uh, The Hunter Biden laptop. You know, the New York Post does an expose on this laptop that they discovered that has all sorts of problematic emails about Joe Biden and misuse of funds and misuse of power. And the, the, the media hid it from the public. They literally froze the New York Post's account, insisting that this was false or um, exposed personal information or what have you when this was... I mean, obviously, there was some personal information there, but not like addresses or something. And we're dealing with a public figure. And this sort of stuff was totally legitimate and totally true. And the media did not want you to believe it because it hurt their desired candidate. Lafayette Square in D.C., we were told, was closed and cleared out for a photo op. And by the way, I'm going to thank Jake Turks of Ami Magazine for giving these examples because I'm going to get on to the point that I want to in a bit, but I just want to go through his examples over here. Um, I don't know why he says that this is sort of a maybe because it's very definite that now a report after an investigation has come out that says the reason why officers cleared out that square from demonstrators was because they were trying to safely install new fencing. And they did that and they started that process before they knew that Trump wanted to walk through there to go to St. John's Church and see the damage that had been done there. So that claim actually, once again, Trump was right. The media was wrong. The media wouldn't let you hear what Trump wanted to say. Of course, the Russia collusion story, totally false. Trump was right. The media was wrong. Producing vaccines before the end of 2020 in record time, Trump was completely right. And it's ridiculous watching the Biden administration fall over themselves trying to claim credit for what Trump did with vaccines. And and there you have it. I mean, I don't know. He goes into something about lockdowns, which I, I don't necessarily agree with Jake on that one. Because uh, we know from Israel, for example, that lockdowns actually can work very well. I mean, obviously, they stop spread of a disease. In fact, the first lockdown was the Trump administration's idea. But why am I bringing all this up? Because fake news has existed long before Trump. And the reason why I know that is because I'm an Orthodox Jew. And we get fake news about the Orthodox community all the time. And specifically now with regards to the promotion of a progressive agenda and insisting that the Orthodox community is going to fall in line with a progressive agenda. And that's simply not going to happen. 
and it's entirely fake news. What we see from all these Trump stories is that the media is overwhelmingly dominated by left-wing figures who want to promote that left-wing narrative. Well, that same thing comes to be true when it becomes an issue in Judaism and the progressive movement against orthodoxy. Let's first of all understand what it means to be orthodox. Now, of course, one way to look at orthodox is simply, oh, I go to an orthodox synagogue, I listen to an orthodox rabbi. That's not what we usually mean when we talk about the orthodox community. Orthodoxy really means Torah observant. The name orthodoxy was placed upon Torah observance and the observant community by Reformed Jews as a moniker, as a label for the Jews that they left behind. I mean, how does it make sense to describe Yemenite Jews as Orthodox? Where does that name come from? To describe Moroccan Jews as Orthodox? Well, the, the answer is that this sort of nomenclature took hold, but it means Torah observance, and it means the observant community. What we're seeing now happen under this progressivism is that people are redefining what it is to be Orthodox, claiming to be Orthodox when they're really not, and then manipulating the media, through the media, this idea that, oh, the Orthodox are going to come to accept the progressive agenda. And that is simply, A, it is not happening, and B, it is never going to happen. We know it's going to not happen. It will never happen for a very simple reason, because Torah observance is over 3,300 years old. It has always followed the Torah and legal sources, and the whole point of observance is to follow a set of objective rules that you don't get to set and you don't get to change. The process of change in orthodoxy is a totally different topic and responding to modern circumstances, etc., etc., but it's never about following a progressive agenda that changes the definition of what is right and good. It is rather all about responding to circumstances in a way that preserves Judaism itself and says, here's how you maintain observance under a new set of circumstances. But the Judaism itself is not changing. And that is exactly what the progressives want to change. So that's the fundamental conflict, and that's why they're going to lose. I mean, if you look at the phenomenal growth of the Orthodox community, quote-unquote, we're talking about the Torah-observant community. We're talking about people who commit themselves to following the rules and saying, okay, we're going to accept the change of circumstances and this, that, and the other. I mean, obviously, nobody in the 12th century answered the question of fax machines on the Sabbath or sending email on Sabbath, or receiving, excuse me, email on the Sabbath. Obviously, sending email is out of the question. That's why I changed that in midstream. The the point is we have a set of rules, and you got to follow a set of rules. And if you're not going to follow the set of rules, you are not orthodox anymore. Now, we have a statement. The Coalition for Jewish Values put out a statement about this last December. We said, 
There is no such thing as an Orthodox rabbi performing a same-sex wedding. There's no such thing as a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, excuse me, ordaining women. And there's certainly no such thing as an Orthodox rabbi revisiting whether the entirety of the Torah was written and given by God himself. There's just no such concept in traditional Judaism. Uh, meaning that such a rabbi, quote-unquote, even if he at one point got a legitimate ordination, he's not a rabbi anymore. At least not an orthodox rabbi. And he can't, I'm sorry, it's not about the rabbi. It's about the orthodox. He cannot claim to be orthodox anymore because what he's doing demonstrates that he's now outside the realm of Torah observance. And so you don't get to say, I'm an Orthodox rabbi, I got Orthodox ordination, I'm doing this, so therefore you have an example of an Orthodox rabbi doing this thing. Because at the moment he does that, he's not Orthodox anymore. To whatever extent, Orthodox means Torah observant. So let's apply that to the current fake news. Number one, we have in the foreword, uh, dated the 29th, yesterday, June 29th, After decades of resistance, LGBTQ marriage is conservative practice. Is modern orthodoxy next? Now, obviously, uh, that is now that that bases itself off an article in the JTA from October of last year by a woman who was very much an LGBTQ uh, promoter activist. She had the agenda. She wanted things to fit the narrative. And she has an article, a small but growing number of Orthodox rabbis are officiating same-sex weddings. And it was all mythology. Most of it coming from this movement called Open Orthodoxy. Open Orthodoxy is the source for quote-unquote rabbis who believe that we can perform same-sex marriage and revisit whether the Torah was written by Moses and, oh, by the way, ordain women. And that is going to come up in a second. All of that comes out of open orthodoxy, which is not orthodox, which has claimed for years to be orthodox, but simply is not uh, because of observance. And, and here's the way we know this. Every single reputable, credible, accepted orthodox rabbinic organization in the world rejects open orthodoxy as orthodoxy and its rabbis as rabbis. And it's not that they reject it. They don't really have a choice. The point is that there's objective standards in halacha for what it means to be observant and what it means to be a rabbi. It's not up to the rabbis to determine. It's not the rabbi's fault that they're rejecting open orthodoxy. It's that open orthodoxy quite deliberately violates the objective standards. So that's it. They're not orthodox anymore. How do you claim that such an organization is orthodox? So there's that that story. Now, what just came out of England is that a woman received ordination from a place called Yeshivat Maharat and wanted to continue teaching at the London School of Jewish Studies. Well, the London School of Jewish Studies is headed by the chief rabbi of England. And so they told her, you're not allowed to uh, refer to yourself as a research fellow at the London School of Jewish Studies anymore. 
Why? Because she got herself ordination at a non-Orthodox institution. Now, again, people claim it's about the education. And that's the story coming out of the progressive left. Whenever you criticize them, they make it that it's about something else than the real story. It's not about an Orthodox woman receiving an advanced education. No, there's a lot of opportunities for women to get an advanced uh, education. The problem is ordination. The problem is a title as a rabbi. You don't get to say that a woman is a rabbi and remain within the realm of orthodoxy. Go look at orthodoxy for the last 3,300 plus years, and that's just not the way orthodoxy and observance works. So again, you know, we sent a letter supporting the chief rabbi in this decision, specifically because the fake news media was promoting the false narrative that one can be orthodox. In fact, there was a specific article in the Jewish Chronicle of England that said that this woman uh, received ordination from Yeshiva Maharat, a school which is orthodox but not recognized by the United Synagogue, which makes it sound like it's a Torah-observant organization that for some reason the United Synagogue rejected. Again, that's not true at all. It's about objective standards in halacha about what Judaism is and what it is not. So Torah observance, Orthodox Judaism, does not have such a concept as that ordination, an ordination of a woman, and therefore that means it's outside the realm of, to of Torah observance. It's not an Orthodox school. It isn't. And therefore, it wasn't up to the United Synagogue any more than it's up to Israel's chief rabbinate or the Conference of European Rabbis or any of the Orthodox rabbinic organizations in the United States, all of which universally say this is not orthodoxy. The only people who say that open orthodox is orthodox are the adherents of open orthodoxy itself whether they actually got their education through open orthodoxy or they came to fall into that movement afterwards, one way or the other, these are the only ones who say that open orthodoxy is a legitimate organization. And that includes none of the accepted rabbinic organizations around the world because the overwhelming majority of quote-unquote orthodox rabbis are genuinely Torah observant and recognize that this is simply not the case. But the media would like to uh, promote its false narrative because this is, after all, an inverted planet. Inverted Planet is generously sponsored by the Stitzer family in the memory of Carl and Rita Stitzer. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure you've subscribed. This podcast is available on all major platforms and all popular Android and iPhone podcast apps. And be sure to spread the word by giving us a five-star rating and telling your friends about the Inverted Planet podcast. Thanks for listening.